0: Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Traditionally, peacemakers has been interpreted to mean not only those who live in peace with others, but also those who do their best to promote friendship among humans and between God and humanity. In the fourth century, St. Gregory of Nyssa interpreted it as godly work which is an imitation of God's love for humans. John Wesley said the peacemaker's endeavor is to calm the stormy spirits of humans, to quiet their turbulent passions, to soften the minds of opposing parties, and if possible, reconcile them to each other. Peacemakers use all their godly ability and employ all of their strength, all of the talents which God has given them to preserve peace where it is and to restore it where it is not. And of course, Jesus Christ was the supreme peacemaker. Jesus taught us how to live at peace with one another, but more importantly, he reconciled humans to God.
1: Well, here we are. Uh, it's hard to believe we're already on the seventh Beatitude. There's one more to go. And uh, as you know, this series goes right into September. So I'm going to d- tell you in just a few moments what we'll be doing immediately after the Beatitudes. I'll tell you this it's all connected. Um, but I was looking at uh, some pictures of, uh, well, paintings of, of artists' rendition of the Sermon on the Mount. This was done by a flemish painter by the name of jan bruchel and this was done in the 15th century and uh, you'll notice that this picture called the sermon on the mount is wrong (laughs) in so many ways uh the first thing that you'll notice is that the trees there's just no trees like that in israel the the next thing you'll notice is that there is no sea of galilee and of course the other thing is that all the people who are listening to jesus uh, and here's Christ. You can hardly see him there. But he is surrounded by, by Europeans. Now, that might be done by design to say that the gospel is for the Europeans as well. Um, that could be a stretch. But I, I think that what you're, what you're going to notice here are these aristocrats and uh, really people who are probably highborn. Now, Jan was as ignorant of this event called the Sermon on the Mount, as most Christians are ignorant of what it means to be a Christian. Now, I have to remind everybody that the Sermon on the Mount uh, teaches Christians what people of the kingdom are really like. If you want to know what a Christian is supposed to be like, then you just have to read the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, I know that some of you have just finished reading the Sermon on the Mount. Some still have not read it. Why don't you ask the person beside you right now, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Go ahead, ask them. All right. If you haven't read it yet, we're almost at the end of the Beatitudes. I'm 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 just going to beg you and plead with you, please read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Beatitudes are the passages that begin the Sermon on the Mount. And in these Beatitudes, we see the, the character of every believer. We see the character of Christ. If you want to know who Christ is, and if you want to know what Christ is like, if you want to know what his, what his personality was like, uh, all you have to do is read the Beatitudes, and you're going to get a really good snapshot of who Jesus was, how he functioned, what his attitude was, how he interacted with people, and how he interacted with the Father who is in heaven. The Beatitudes really tell Christians what they're supposed to be like, how they're supposed to behave, what their attitudes need to be. And again, you and I can't live out the Sermon on the Mount. You and I cannot live out the Beatitudes without the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. And that, of course, was the good news that uh, Jesus left with us, that unless he goes away, the comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, could not come. And Jesus tells his disciples, don't be afraid. I'm sending you the comforter, the paraclete, the one who is alongside you. And so understand this, that this life that Jesus paints for us in the Sermon of the Mount, is a life that all of us are called to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, just stop and think about that for a moment. This is not just a a philosophy of man, but it is a life under the power and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a thrilling thought that we're not just going through religious exercises, but we are... Actively engaged with God Himself—that's a thrilling thought. Now, it's hard to believe that after today we only have one more Beatitude to study. And some have been asking, what will we be studying after this? Well, some of you may know that there are two versions of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe a better way to put is is to say that there's two versions of the Beatitudes. There's one in Luke chapter six and. I invite you to take a look at that, uh, not right at the moment, but later. And then, of course, there's the one in Matthew chapter 5. Now, a lot of people, when they talk about the Beatitudes, they naturally go to Matthew chapter 5, because it is the most complete uh, rendition, or the most complete teaching on the Beatitudes. But Luke also includes these Beatitudes. But the thing that's different from Luke is that uh, the difference between Luke and Matthew is that Luke talks about something called the woes, or the condemnations, the condemnations that follow these beatitudes. And that's what we're going to talk about for four weeks, because there are four condemnations, or four woes, that Jesus tells us about. And so you and I, we want to be sure that, that we are living this life the way Christ tells us to live, And and in these woes, Jesus tells us why some of us are not experiencing the happiness or the blessing that's supposed to be ours if we're Christians. So if you're a Christian and you're not feeling blessed, if you're not feeling the happiness that you're supposed to feel as a Christian, and again, I use the word happiness uh, very broadly, Uh, we're talking about a happiness that comes from heaven, not a happiness that we can generate on our own. If you're missing this happiness that comes from heaven, then these woes will help you understand what it is that you're not doing right, and what it is that needs to change in your life. So that uh, happens in two weeks. We've got one more Beatitude to go through next week. So when we come back together here in the building on August the 23rd, then we, we complete the Beatitude series with the four woes. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, let me share with you the the seventh beatitude today, and it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And you'll notice that the NLT is slightly different, uh, but saying the same thing, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. I like the way that the NLT uh, uh, describes peacemaking. It's somebody who works for peace, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, but understand this, is that you and I as Christians are supposed to be people who are making peace a reality. In other words, you and I are creating it, again, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that. Um, and, and I think maybe what would be useful is to first talk about what, what this is not saying. Because I've heard very strange interpretations of the scripture, so let me just quickly point out what this verse is not saying. Jesus is not speaking about uh, living at peace with others, although that is what we're supposed to do. That is not what this is talking about. Uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen. It, I mean, that's talking about governing yourself and living a holy life where you do live at peace with others. But this is saying so much more than that. We're we're not talking about just governing yourself so that you're living at peace with people. We're talking about you being a peacemaker, somebody who's working to bring about peace. We're not talking about peace lovers. Uh, There's a lot of people that love peace. They, They just, you know, will run from confrontation at all costs. They just love peace. They'll live with whatever as long as we keep the peace. We're not talking about people who are peaceful in spirit. You know, the people who always have a smile on their face. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking that, but that's not what this is talking about. We're not talking about people who long for peace, who have a, a desire to see it. Uh, we saw that in the 1960s, the peace movement. Uh, we're not talking about peacenik. Some of you know that term, a peacenik, and a peacenik... is uh, is somebody who belongs to the pacifist movement. Again, that started in the 1960s. These are people who are opposed to war at all costs. Um, That's not what this is talking about. These things that I just mentioned to you are really uh, passive and sort of inactive positions concerning peace. What we're talking about here is active peacemaking. Jesus could very easily put a footnote here and say, talk is cheap. Anybody can talk about it. Anybody could protest against that which is uh, the opposite of peace. But that's not what he's doing. He's talking about people who work for peace, who make peace happen, who get involved. He's talking about people who are creating peace or restoring peace. Let me give you an example. When I was in Bible school, there were two guys, uh, two friends of mine, Oscar and Steve, I won't mention their last names. Uh, they were in what we call the common room. It's the area where the guys and the girls could hang out. And, um, and in the common room, these guys just started playing around, and they decided they were going to have a punching fight. Uh, it was something that we did at our house when I was growing up. And so what happens is one guy punches the guy in the shoulder, and then the other one punches back, and then, pu- and then it just keeps going on. And of course, the guy that wins is the one who doesn't give up. Well, these two guys are two of uh, the, the most stubborn guys that I've ever known. Uh, I love them both dearly, but man, were they stubborn. Stubborn. And and what started out as a friendly game, now seriously became a, a big fight, and they did it uh, with a smile on their face, but their faces now are red. And it was half angry, half smiling, but they were going at it. And of course, I grew up at home, three boys and my sister. My sister was good at playing that game as well. But man, we, I, I just wanted to watch this. I wanted to see who was going to win. But my friend, Doug Sharp, I'm going to mention his last name, a godly, a godly man in our, in our class. He he saw that this was no longer a game. He saw that this now was was a fight, and that neither one of these guys was going to step down. Neither of them was going to back away. Neither one of them was going to put themselves in a position where they would admit defeat. And Doug, again, one of the most godly men that I know uh, or knew at that time, he literally got between these two guys. He stepped in between them. And he started taking the blows. Well, it actually, uh, it, it looked humorous. But he did, a, he did a good thing. He brought peace in the midst of this, this tension and this anger. Uh, what started out as fun became an angry situation where one guy now was trying to kill the other. So there is Doug at his own personal cost, getting between these fellows, and he took a few blows in the arm and maybe even in in the chin, I'm not sure, but I'm going to tell you, uh, it was something to behold the fight, but then it was something to behold Doug the peacemaker, who was willing to do anything, whatever it cost, to bring peace. This is what Jesus is talking about. You're a peacemaker. You're working at bringing peace in the midst of the fighting and the turmoil in your world. You're not talking about it. You're actually doing something about it. And by the way, when those two guys were going at it, some of the girls were saying, stop, stop. You're getting out of control. Again, talk is cheap. It took Doug to step into the middle of it, to break it up, to bring peace once again. And there was peace thereafter. Now, a peacemaker, overlooks the cost involved. He's, he's more concerned about peace than the personal cost or expense to him. Think about that. Of course, the, the greatest example of, of, of peacemaking is Jesus Christ himself, isn't it? He was the one who was willing to personally sacrifice His own life. There was real involvement, real effort, and real cost involved. Jesus was willing to give himself. The peacemaker, he's working or she's working to bring peace and reconciliation and harmony regardless of the personal sacrifice. Peace means reconciliation. Now, in our world today, we hear that word a lot. But what we need to understand is we need to understand reconciliation from a biblical point of view. We need to look at what the Scriptures say about reconciliation, and we need to see who is at the the foundation of reconciliation, and it's none other than Jesus Christ himself. God is the author of peace and reconciliation, and we know because that's what the Word of God says. In Colossians 1.20, Paul says, And through Christ God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So God himself is the author of peace and reconciliation. And it's through Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who reconciled us to God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, when Adam and Eve refused to obey God, there was a division. There was a separation. There was a mighty gulf that was formed between God and and his people. We were separated from God because of sin. The only way that that gulf could be closed was through Christ. It was Christ who died for us, who took away our sins. Another way of putting it, in a theological way, is He justified us. He made us righteous so that we could come back into fellowship with God. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But Jesus Christ has, has invited us back. And the way that we are invited back into the presence of God, because that's really what the Garden of Eden is, it's the presence of God, or, or we call it heaven. The only way we could be invited back into that presence is through Christ, by putting our faith in Christ. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to be reconciled to God. You know the peace that's yours. I remember... Very very plainly, very clearly, the day that I was reconciled to God as a child, I put my faith in Christ and instantly felt like all my sins were washed away. I felt like I could fly. You've heard me say that many times. It happened because of Christ. Christ is the one who reconciled me to God. Now this word um, that's used, erinopii, is, is the word that's used in this verse for, peacemake, for peacemaking. And it's also the same word used in Colossians 1.20. And so we get an idea that peacemaking is what Jesus does and what Jesus did. And if you and I are gonna be a peacemaker, then you and I need to imitate Christ. This is, what the, this is what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2. We are called to follow in his steps, even if it means suffering. Christ has set for us an example that we should follow in his steps. Now, think about that. You say, Pastor Allen, who on earth could possibly live like this? Who could do this? Only people who are born again. Only people who have the spirit of Christ dwelling within them. Christ is the supreme peacemaker. And I'm going to tell you something. The peacemaking that Jesus did, the peacemaking that Jesus facilitated was between God and man and between man and man, between between humans. Think about that. It's a beautiful picture here. Again, most people don't understand that. And by the way, they don't understand that the peace that Jesus is talking about is a supernatural peace. It's not the peace of humans. Peace, humans, humans, they they regularly they regularly transgress against their own peace initiatives, their own their own uh, uh, contracts, where they promise that they'll live at peace with one another. Uh, humans are by nature uh, angry, bitter. People, we, we fight with one another, and, and we are enemies with one another. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Romans that we're born enemies of God. And, and consequently, because of that nature, we also very easily become enemies of one another. So Jesus, in being a peacemaker, he, he dies for us. He takes away our sin. And in theological terms, we call that atonement. Now, atonement, atoning for sin, it simply comes from the, the, the English words at-one-ment. We are literally made one with God. And that happens through Christ. But I want to I share with you the whole picture here. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 15, what Christ has done. Humans are reconciled with one another and humans are reconciled to God. And all this happens through Christ. Look at this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Did you see that? It's Christ who has brought this peace. He united Jews and Gentiles, and I've underlined this, into one people. When you become a Christian, There is no distinction between you and the other Christian. We we don't celebrate our differences. We celebrate what unites us. This, my friends, is the gospel. This is what the scripture tells us. Jesus himself has united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. These last words, this wall of hostility that separates, separated us, this was written 2000, almost 2,000 years ago. Can you think of a more appropriate description of what we're seeing in our culture and in our society today? And as a preacher of the gospel, and as somebody who, who has read history a lot, and as somebody who is an observer, I'm going to tell you that, that humans do not have the ability to live at peace for long. It only takes one person to get angry and everything falls apart. Canada has often been called the friendly neighbor to the north of the U.S. of A. And yet right now there's a tension brewing between the two nations. Albeit it's through the through the leaders of the two countries, but nevertheless, It doesn't take much to bring enmity and anger and bitterness and resentment. The answer we need to understand is Jesus Christ himself, because he is the one who has brought peace to us. And so what happens, and this is so exciting, is a thing that brings peace between races, between the, very, the, the, the sexes, between people of different religions and philosophy and ideas and politics, is that we look to Christ. And when we look to Christ, then we can say with the apostle uh, Paul, and uh, in, in, he said it in Galatians chapter 3, that in Christ there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Gentile, nor, nor a slave or free, and, and the list goes on. There's literally no difference. We are literally one people. Jesus does that. Because what? Jesus is a peacemaker. And he does it by giving his own body at the cross. Remember my friend Doug, who literally gave himself to bring an end to hostility between Steve and Oscar. And then Paul goes on to say, in the next verse, and he's, he's kind of repeating himself because he wants you to get this. Jesus did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. You see, the commandments and the regulations said that Jews and Gentiles could not mix. Why? Because the Jews were the holy people of God, and the Gentiles were considered, and they were, the pagan people who were opposed to God and opposed to the law of God and opposed to the values of God. And so God commands them in the Old Testament not to mix. But when you become Christians, that divide, that wall of hostility is removed. Because now Jews and Gentiles are both serving Jesus Christ. And it's Christ that makes us one. And so that's really what it says here. Jesus made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups now you can you can substitute Gentiles and jews for for any group of people that 's fighting one another there's a, there's for for years now well from my childhood there's been a war between males and females, and some of you remember uh, that that fight very strongly in in the 1960s and 70s. Gloria Steinem, some of you will remember her. Once we have committed our lives to Christ, it's a game changer. Once we have surrendered to Christ, Christ now is the foundation on which these two groups become one. So Paul is telling us what Christ has done as the Supreme Peacemaker. The question is, what must we do? How do we respond to this? What what do we do to be called sons of God? Well, let me just remind you again of this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's what it says in the ESV. Let's read it in the NLT. God blesses those who work for peace, so far, so good. For they will be called the children of God. I was reading um, a book by D.A. Carson, one of my favorite theologians. And he points out that in some versions, like the NLT, the King James, the NIV, they actually translate this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. But that is not what it says in the Greek, and I checked it out myself. The word is not children of God, it is yihi, which means sons of God, or sons of God. Sons of God is a much better translation, and I'll tell you why. This is what D.A. Carson points out. He says, in Jewish thought, a son bears the meaning partaker of the character of God. That's what sons of God means. So when you talk about the child of God, which is is okay, because it talks about a relationship to God, it doesn't say enough. When you talk about the sons of God, yes, it talks about the fact that God is our father and we are his child, but it says even more than that. It says that we have the character of God. Now, folks, if you're converted today and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, then that is what he is working in you to do. He's working in you to produce the very nature and very character of God. It's absolutely thrilling. The result is that we who are peacemakers are most like God in that God is a reconciler. Even though God evicted Adam and Eve from the garden, it was God who brought us back. Think about that. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful picture. God was the one who had to remove these unholy people from his holy presence, but then God, through Jesus Christ, brings us back into relationship with him. Wow. Consequently, when you read through the New Testament, what do you discover? You discover that the number one ethic of the New Testament is, in fact, love. And where there's love, there is a commitment, a pursuit of peace. So when you see somebody who's a peacemaker, you see somebody who's actually living out the command to love others as you love yourself. Jesus called that the second greatest command. So Jesus is describing what a true child of the kingdom is. How do you know if you're a Christian? Well, one of the marks of a true Christian is that he or she is a peacemaker. This is what you're devoted to. How do you know if you belong to the kingdom of God? Well, you're like Jesus. How do I know that Doug Sharp is a Christian? Well, one of the, one of the signs is that he was prepared to offer himself as a sacrifice to, to bring peace to Stephen Oscar. In the power of the Holy Spirit, folks, listen, you're seeking to bring forgiveness and healing and reconciliation to people. Now I'm going to tell you, not everybody wants to be reconciled to anybody. and Some people want to keep the the tension alive. They want to keep the fight alive. They don't want to let this thing go. They, They want to nurture a grudge. They want to hold on to the grudge. But if Both parties, get this, if both parties are committed to following Christ, if they're committed to loving each other, if they're committed to a life of peace, well, then what happens is that there is peace. But you'll notice the focus is off of one another, and together they turn their focus to Christ. That's the foundation of peace. And for this reason, We are called to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. We're called to make disciples. We're called to tell others, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I wonder today if you are convinced, if this is your conviction, that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the only hope of this world. The only way that we are going to see any kind of healing in our culture, in our churches, in our homes, In our families is if everybody turns their focus on Christ and says, I want to obey Jesus. I watch marriages break up. I see families fall apart. I see churches falling apart. uh, And we all have. And I can tell you what what the problem is. The problem is is that people have gotten their eyes off of Christ. Uh, Husband and wife that want to have a successful marriage must have a vibrant relationship with Christ. You must know him and walk with him. You must enjoy his fellowship because wherever Christ is, there is peace. You and I are called to be messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. We live in a world that is so divided right now. We've got... We've got race wars we've got we've got division between males and females the sexes that we've got problem with people of different religions different philosophies different politics and how on earth are we going to find peace it's only in christ and so our job first and foremost as peacemakers is to bring the message of jesus christ who is the prince of peace That's the gospel. Jesus can heal marriages. Jesus can heal families. Jesus can heal countries, nations who are divided. God can heal anything if people will come to Christ, surrender their lives to Christ, bow their knee before Christ. The gospel of peace calls people to obedience to Christ. This is our only hope. And it's for this reason that the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, he quotes Isaiah 52, 7. Let me read it to you. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. This is the first thing that every peacemaker does. Every peacemaker is devoted to sharing the message of the Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. That's what our church is about. That's why we do the work we do in our community and in Burundi. And this is why we call everybody in our church to live out habit number six, which is to go and make disciples, teaching people to obey everything that the Prince of Peace has taught. But the second thing that you and I need to understand is that a peacemaker is actively pursuing peace in his sphere of influence. Wherever Christians go, they should be, be catalysts of peace. They should be bringing peace. And, and, and how do, what does that look like in day-to-day life? Well, the first thing I would say is that if you're a Christian, then you are going to refuse to engage in divisive rhetoric and conversation, you're going to do everything you can to to foster peace. I've watched I've watched fights break out uh, in in restaurants, <laughs> in people's homes, fighting and arguing over ideas. If you're a peacemaker, that's not what you're about. What you are What you're concerned about is pointing people to Christ, not trying to not trying to focus on the thing that divides you, but focusing on the thing. That brings you together. And sadly, there are Christians who will have mighty, mighty battles, mighty fights over things like politics and ideas. This is not who we are as Christians. We're peacemakers. Why? Because we want to be called the sons of God. We want to be recognized as people who are born again as people who have the character of God and who belong to the family of God. This is really important because if you're calling yourself a Christian today, if you are saying, I, I believe I'm born again, then this is how you have to live. This is not optional. This, is, this peacemaking is the fruit of the spirit in your life. So you're not engaging in, in, in divisive discussion you're doing everything you can to bring fa- your family together. Some families, even though they call themselves Christian, are divided. They don't talk to each other. Your job as a Christian is to try to put an end to that, to try to bring everybody together again. The other thing that you're going to do is you're going to be making sure that some of the money that you spend is, is spent on in trying to bring peace. And that's why we are so heavily invested in Burundi, we're trying to bring peace to vulnerable children. That's why we, we are investing in the lives of almost 400 kids. We're trying to bring peace there. Because we, we, we want to be called the sons of God. We want to be acknowledged and recognized by God himself as people who are born again. What else can we do? What are the, what are the other active things that peacemakers can do? Well, you need to be like Doug. Once in a while, you're just going to have to throw yourself into the middle of a fight. I remember I was driving along uh, when I was a youth pastor, and there's these two huge, I mean, they must have been six foot something, these two big teenage boys, and and both of them, they look like uh, football players. And I saw them fighting on the side of the road, and the kids were gathered around. And without even thinking, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but without even thinking, I came to a screeching halt, and I literally threw myself between those guys and told them to break it up. I could see that one kid was severely losing and uh, was, was bloodied up by the, by the, by the mess. Uh, but the interesting thing is after that happened, he asked, why did you do it? And I said, well, you see that church is just on the other side of the highway. I'm the youth pastor there. And that kid ended up coming to church because he experienced the work of a peacemaker. This is what we do as Christians. We are actively engaged in bringing peace. Now, I'm gonna share one more thing with you, and this is a tough one. In fact, this, I don't think you can do this unless you are truly, truly born again. There's, there may be people right now in your life that you haven't talked to in a long time, that you feel there's a division between you and them, um, and in fact, you feel you've been hurt many times, that they have really let you down, well, that person needs you to be a peacemaker. They don't want to reach out to you, but you know because you're a Christian, because you're a follower of Christ, you need to take action. You need to reach out. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that they're gonna respond nicely, but because you are a Christian, because you are a son of God, because this is now your new nature, your new character, You need to go and make peace. You need to either say, if I've offended you, I want to apologize to you, Um, but you need to do something. I have, I I gotta tell you, I have done that, I think, with just about everybody that I can think of that maybe is upset with me. And I have to tell you that they haven't always responded the way I hoped or the way I had prayed. But I, I know in my own heart that I have done the right thing. And should the day come when they come back and they say, hey we need to be reconciled i will embrace them and hug them and kiss them because i am not holding any resentment to my heart and and i ask god to show me if there is anything like that why because i need to be a peacemaker i need to try to do whatever i can to make things right i've had people that i've apologized to and they just frankly refuse it they just say i don't believe it well there's nothing i can do about that but what i can do is do what i can In the power of the Holy Spirit, I can go and try to make peace, and that's all I can do. Make peace with that person who has wronged, who's done a wrong or done something wrong to you, or that you have wronged, because that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want us to pray now, and I'm gonna ask God to give you the grace and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not in your own strength, to be a peacemaker and if that's who you are imitating Christ willing even to make peace at personal cost, personal expense personal sacrifice then you are indeed a child of God and remember uh, none of us has had to die on a cross to make peace with anybody Jesus has already done that All you have to do is humble yourself. All you have to do is put yourself forward and say, I'm a follower of Christ and I want to make peace. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your power at work within us. Father, we thank you for sending us Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Give us the grace and the strength to imitate Jesus. Help us, God, we pray to glorify your name. We want to be known as people with the very character of God. We want to be known as sons of God. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.